The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. I'm Laura Nash. I'm the host and the producer. And joining us today from Florida is Rob Greenfield. He's the star of the television show Free Ride on the Discovery Channel and the author of the book Dude Making a Difference. Here's my inspiring conversation with Rob. Hello, it's Rob. Hi, Rob. It's Laura. How are you? Hey, good. How are you, Laura? I'm so good. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I'm so excited. Good. Yeah, me too. Tell me about Free Ride, because I believe you you flew down to South America or Central America? Uh, South America, yep. I landed in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and then I landed there with no money, with just, just a, a backpack with basic camping gear, and I think I had a total of about 30 possessions, including all my clothes, including each pair of underwear and such. The idea was that, uh, you know, mainstream media often portrays the world as this very dangerous, violent place. And I believe that they are drastically overplaying violence and underplaying the goodness of the world. And that creates this disproportional belief of, of what the world is. So what I wanted to do is uh, show that people are good. And by landing in a far off place with no money, no credit card, you know, no cell phone, nothing like that. And having to get, I had to travel uh, all the way to, uh, to Panama through seven countries and like 7,000 miles and uh, pretty much largely dependent upon the kindness of others. And I wanted to show people that there are a lot of amazing, helpful people out there. Wow. Well, that's so beautifully said. The incredible, helpful people, whether it was picking me up when I was hitchhiking or uh, you know, buying me a lunch um, or taking me into their home. It, just countless, countless, countless number of people that where that was the scenario. Wow. I can't imagine. That must be such an incredible journey. And we can watch that on the Discovery Channel, right? It's called Free Ride? It's called Free Ride. It, it aired about, I guess it's been about a year and a half or two now. And in some countries, it's still playing. It also plays on like TLC and different channels like that. Oh, wow. But I'm not really up to speed with where it's playing. It's not playing in the United States, but it is playing in def- some countries around the world right now. And you can find it online as well. If you type it into YouTube, I think that you can find it. You also wrote a book too. So Dude Making a Difference, right? Yep. So that book is about my first bike ride across the United States. The idea was to bike across the country and have basically try to bike across the country and have no negative environmental impact. It was, you know, really a trip about learning about sustainability and teaching about sustainability and sustainable living. And it was quite the adventure. The, the basic idea was I set, I set ground rules for all of the key aspects of sustainable living, food, water, energy, waste, and transportation, all the things that we deal with every single day, whether we realize it or not. And I set rules for that to try to live as sustainably as I could, extremely sustainably all the way across the country. And uh, yeah, that that did turn into a book. So it makes sense to me why you wouldn't want to use the power grid, because there are a lot of, of issues with that, especially with carbon. But why did you choose not to use the municipal water system? 
Sure, yeah, the trip, uh, the original name was Off the Grid Across America, so uh. no using any, any utilities, which would include water. But the reason that that matters, there's the obvious, like, we can all understand not wasting water. But the thing about the whole water system is it's far more complicated and uses far more resources than we would ever really imagine. So, you know, when you're using water from the tap, there's all the chemicals that were used to treat it, uh, chlorine and fluoride and such. Uh, there's all the energy that it takes. So 20% of all electricity used in California, where I started the trip, is used for pumping water. So okay. it also takes a lot of electricity. And then there's the cleaning of the water. You know, wastewater is a hugely resource-intensive process. And a lot of the times, we think that these systems function perfectly, but I was just reading the newspaper down... Uh, I was at a, in a smaller town south of Orlando where I live right now, and the headline read, three million gallons of raw sewage spilled into the river. And I was like, whoa, you know, that's a lot. And then the second headline was, fourth largest raw sewage spill in two years. So this is this commonplace that these systems, you know, have these sorts of negative effects. And so, you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't use water, but just for this, for that summer, it was really about deeply immersing in all of these things. And the way that I was able to deeply immerse in it was by not being able to use all of these basic resources that we, you know, don't, that we don't consider a privilege, that we just consider, like, you know, what we have. We don't even really give it a second thought. And by not being able to use it, it really was able to help me strip back to the basics and understand my actions and how they affected the world, how they affect the world around me. Wow, that's very cool. I use a Sawyer... Uh, filter when I when I'm hiking and and stuff. Did you have a certain kind of filter that you preferred? I've used the Sawyer Squeeze and I definitely like that. Uh, one of the reasons I like it is because it lasts for like a hundred thousand gallons, so it is one of the more sustainable filters out there. At home, I use the Berkey filter because it's less of a traveling one. They do make a smaller one that's for traveling, not really backpacking though. I use that at home for purifying my rainwater or tap water, and it's one of the more environmentally friendly and uh, really effective filters out there. Very cool. So when you were biking across America, you did some dumpster diving, and from a zero-waste perspective, we're all over this stuff. Like, grocery stores are wasting so much food, and they're wasting so much packaging, and I'm assuming that when a grocery store throws out, for example, a pack of cookies, they're not taking it apart and recycling it and, like, composting the cookies, are they? Rarely have I ever seen that. And I've dived into about, you know, over 2,000 dumpsters across the United States. And a vast majority of grocery stores just take the stuff right off the shelves and throw it right in the dumpster. Many grocery stores have, do have uh, donation programs. So there is, good. you know, there is a lot of good stuff going on. But as far as when they do throw stuff away, yeah, there's not many stores actually sort it out. And what that means is that, first of all, they're throwing away the food instead of composting it, and then they're throwing away all the plastic instead of recycling it. It all goes right into the dumpster to the landfill. Yeah, it's terrible. Was it mostly packaged food that you found? Was, like, pretty much everything in packaging? Um, well, it depends on the store because, you know, like, for example, Aldi packages just about every... I mean, they might literally package every single item at the store, so everything you find in their dumpster is packaged, whereas like, I don't know, like say Sprouts, for example, was a place that I went in a lot in San Diego. They, you know, they have a lot of unpackaged, most of their produce is unpackaged. So 
so there's a lot of unpackaged produce in the dumpsters. So it really just comes down to how the grocery store works. Mm-hmm. And in France, they have a, a law now that they can't throw out food. Uh, have you heard of that one? Yeah, so that was, it's been probably, what, two years now since that passed. So that's definitely a huge win, that basically a law that doesn't allow grocery stores of a certain size. You have to, it, it's, you know, it's starting with the largest stores that have to create mm-hmm. programs and not throw anything away, and then it'll, and then it will continue down to the smaller stores. Um, so that's great news. The bad news is that what that often means is that someone else is having to throw it away after it's donated, and here's the reason why. In the world, we, we waste one-third of all the food that we produce, so that's enough food to feed about two billion people. The reality is, is that we produce enough food to feed the entire world. So even if we distributed the food we had properly, a, a lot of it would still go to waste, especially in Western countries. We all produce a huge abundance of food. So it's a step forward banning grocery stores from being able to throw away food, but it, it's a Band-Aid on the entire globalized, industrialized food system that is hemorrhaging good food out at every corner of the entire system. So how would America tackle that program? Do you think that there's a better way or we're still kind of waiting for those answers? These are really tricky questions and they're very complex. It's all very complex. And that's the reality of the situation is any of these environmental problems, none of it's black and white. Mm -hmm. It's all gray. And when you look deeper, when you really look a lot deeper, you know, I've been involved in sustainability for seven years now, and it's basically like my full-time job just figuring out how my actions affect the world and just looking into all the, you know, all the ways that we live and how it affects the world and humanity and the other species that we share the earth with. And what, you know, one of the basic things that I constantly come back to is everything is a lot more complex than we think. And basically, you know, the solutions that we do have, they're all partial solutions. Very few of them are actually real full-on solutions to the problem. And of course, that's because everything is interconnected and you can't really isolate things because they're all just deeply intertwined. Mm -hmm. I think it'd be nice if everyone had to compost and recycle instead of just all these businesses just throwing everything, you know, in these green garbage bags and we don't know what's going in them or where they're going. I mean, usually it goes to landfill unless you're in like Sweden and then it's being incinerated. And I don't, I'm not the kind of person who likes to put a lot of rules on people, but I think at this point it would help for sure if we had some, uh, some more regulations. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly one way to do it. And of course I agree. I'm not really a, I'm not really a rules guy myself. Um, but (laughs) so it's a, it's definitely one of those tricky things. I mean, the Mm -hmm. ideal case scenario would be people would choose to do it because it's, the right thing to do. Yes, yes. But I feel like we're kind of waiting around. And a lot of people will come to me and say, oh, I had a, a water bottle today and I, I thought of you and I felt bad. <laughs> it's like, well, why didn't you just not have it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's really hard to get the message across. And people are so busy, right? Like people are working their butts off. And especially in America, I find everyone I know in America works so hard. And I feel bad because... I'm trying to like tell people that they could be doing better things, but I don't want to tell people what to do. So, um, yeah, 
we got to figure it out somehow. And I think that you're you're doing a wonderful thing because you have some amazing visuals here. So there's lots of YouTube videos. I've watched your TED Talk. And I haven't watched the Discovery Show, but I'd like to see that. It sounds uh, super awesome. And you also donate to a lot of different organizations. Are there some current ones that you're you're working with? Hmm. Um, actually, right now I'm working with the story of Stuff Some. Ooh. I'm sure you've heard of them. Oh, yeah. Um, we're working on a series called Zero Waste USA. Cool. And uh, it'll be a five-part video series that basically features some of the great solutions that are happening across the United States to, uh, to you know, work on creating less trash and creating a more creating a less uh, trash-filled world. So I'm really excited about that. That's a couple months out yet. We're just kind of in the pre-production stage right now. Nice. I think everyone who's into Zero Waste loves the story of stuff. I hear people talk about that all the time. It's really good. Yes, they, they were definitely one of my gateways. So it's pretty amazing to get to work with them because watching the story of stuff was one of my early wake-up calls. You know, the first time that I really thought about the whole life cycle of stuff and just everything from, you know, extracting the raw materials all the way down to the time that it reaches the garbage, the the landfill, and just realizing, you know, how complex that whole thing is and how much destruction can be caused all along the way just for me to have cheap junk from Walmart, which is where I was shopping at the time when I, you know, first watched Story of Stuff. So definitely for people that haven't seen it, it's a great thing to watch and it's a great tool, you know, if you want to spread a really good just message that people can understand it's definitely a video that i recommend using in classrooms and documentary screenings and such all across the country absolutely yeah it's like a conveyor belt you know this production is just all ending up in landfill or in the oceans you know even worse if it doesn't make it to landfill and landfills are problematic and we need to just stop producing so much garbage so it's cool to see that you can do these huge trips like you know across america or right up from south america through central and and up into the us and do it sustainably how did you when you were down there how did you find the garbage situation like is everything mm. wrapped in plastic in every other country that you've been to as well? Every country is different. What the United States does pretty well is take the garbage away um, mm. and make it out of sight, out of mind, and get it to a landfill where people don't think about it. That's what the United States does really well. So our litter problem is actually pretty minor compared to a lot of other countries out there. Now, Peru, for example, I would uh, I would be driving for miles with seeing just just you know, trash scattered across the landscape, almost just all along the roadside, just for miles. And it was just insane how much I saw in parts of Peru. Oh, um, that's too bad. In uh, Argentina, I went to a landfill, and um, it's just a small kind of local rural landfill, and they don't cover it. So, you know, when the wind comes, it just blows all across the landscape, and birds are just in it, spreading it all over, and cows were eating out of it and um Ew. so you know that's you know there's that going on definitely the western mindset of you know packaging everything and creating lots of trash is spreading across the world there's no question about that yeah especially for people who are on lower incomes i think that this is an issue too because companies have realized that they can sell little tiny packages of laundry soap or you know a one single use thing of dish soap or um these little tiny things right and so if someone 
doesn't have this huge vehicle to like drive to the local box store or Costco to buy this like giant, you know, $40 thing of laundry detergent or something, you know, like some, some people don't have that money to buy those upfront big packages. And so they buy these little tiny ones and then they don't have garbage takeaway services. So where are they ending up? Well, they're ending up in the ocean or like in rivers and in the ocean. And in one of your TED Talks, I think you've done a couple. And one of them, you said something like when you did something good for the earth, it was also good for you. Yeah. Well, in 2011, that's when I really started to wake up to what was going on in the world. And that's when, you know, I watched a lot of documentaries, read a lot of books and decided, okay, you know, I didn't realize my life was causing all this destruction. And so I got to change my life because I'm not going to live to, you know, if I live to be 80, let's say that's 55 years more. So I'm not going to be, I've been a hypocrite, but I didn't realize I was. Now I know I'm a hypocrite. I'm not going to do 55 more years of being a hypocrite. I got to align my actions with my actual beliefs. And so that's when, uh, you know, I decided that I was going to really just change my life. And uh, what I did is I started to make one change at a time, started with, you know, some really small stuff, built upon those smaller things to be able to take bigger steps that I didn't know I'd be able to do. And what I found during that time was, you know, I was doing all of that to live a more environmentally friendly life. That was really the idea. But what I ended up finding was, you know, when I was doing things that were good for the environment, it turned out they were also good for me, eating a more plant-based diet, Mm-hmm. Uh, made me a lot healthier. Not drinking so much beer made me a lot healthier. Uh, riding my bike instead of uh, driving everywhere made me so much healthier. Mm-hmm. And all of these things are beneficial for the environment, of course. And so what I found was that the more I worked towards living a more environmentally friendly and just life, well, the happier and healthier that I became too. So it, you know, it worked out great for me. It definitely was not this definitely was not altruistic because I benefited from it so much. It's awesome. We find that with packaged food too. So as I'm trying to move away from packaged food, which is so hard, I do find that I'm eating so much more healthy because you go to that section in the grocery store mm-hmm. and you get your apples and pears and grapes and, and tomatoes and you know potatoes. You can get all those things still in grocery stores, at least where I live, without packaging which is great. But then you go in the inside of the grocery store and that's usually where a lot of the packaging is. So in university, like, I don't know, 15 years ago, I remember someone in biology saying, if you just go around the outside of the grocery store, it's typically healthier and that hits like the produce and then it hits sort of like the things that need to be cold. And those are packaged too, but I do find that it it is very healthy. And I thought it was really funny too that you you mentioned a lot that you used to drink a lot and party, and then, you know, you've changed your ways a little bit. You know, there's a lot better ways, I guess, that we can use our time. Mm-hmm. Time and money and energy, all of that. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool that you're working on with the story of stuff, because that's just amazing. And you do have a list of, like, a whole bunch of other films that you like. So it's robgreenfield.tv, right? That's, That's website. my website. Yep. Yeah. So it's really cool. There's so many resources. So if you're listening and you want to check it out, like your TED Talks are on there. There's a huge list of documentaries. There's a bunch of videos that you've done. It's great. And your timeline too. That was That's cool. probably the resource that I would recommend the most for people that are looking to transform their lives and really change. It's at robgreenfield.tv slash timeline. And it's basically the timeline from being a drunk dude to a dude <laughs> making a difference is what it's called. And it's just all, you know, it incorporates all of it, the changes that I made and 
and uh, and then if you click on the different links, there's just so much resources like, you know, where it talks about getting rid of my car. You can click that, and then it talks about why I got rid of my car and the benefits of not having one. And so I definitely would recommend checking that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. And uh, is that what the book is a lot about? Because I haven't read the book yet. I, I just found out that you had a book actually um, when I was looking on your website. So I'd like to read it. Is it a lot of the timeline? Actually, that book is about my first bike ride across the country. Um, awesome. Okay. The, the one where I tried to bike across the country and have no negative environmental impact. So it's not that first two years where I was waking up. It's that first environmental adventure where I decided I was going to try to inspire other people as well. And so it really, it really focuses on that. Yeah. What were your difficulties when you were on that bike trip? How were you getting food? Was it all grocery store waste? So on that trip, the idea was to bike across the country and try to eat all local, organic, unpackaged food. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found was that, of course, this is five years ago. I found that I found, of course, that that just doesn't exist in so much of the country. So I was thinking, um, yeah, it must be impossible. It would be possible if you just carried a lot of food with you. I did have a trailer, and the idea was that I could stock up. And when I found those options, you know, you have to carry a lot of weight, and that's a challenge when you're biking. So that was the idea, but I had made the exception that I could eat food that was going to waste because there is no negative environmental impact in eating food that's going to waste because you're actually preventing it from going to the landfill, which would reduce methane and reduce gas needed to use to pick it up and such. So it's actually maybe the most environmentally friendly way to eat uh, if there's a source of wasted food. And so that was my exception. And then it turned out about 70% of my diet that summer ended up coming from uh, dumpster diving. Wow. If it's going there anyway, you're actually saving it. And then in turn, you can also take some of the packaging apart and hopefully recycle it. And recycling, again, is like a Band-Aid on the issue, but it, it at least gets it out of landfill, which is great. Yeah, and it means that you aren't needing virgin land, virgin resources at all. So you're able to, you know, net zero what you would have, the impact you would have been having by needing to buy food as well. So it's actually a pretty sweet way to live a environmentally friendly life and save a ton of money and still get to eat really, really good food. Oh, that's so awesome. Good for you. This is so cool that you figured all this out. And thank you so much for sharing it, not only with us today, but just... In, for the world, basically. I think that we need more people like you <laughs> doing the right thing and figuring out ways to do it. Because when people think, oh, you don't produce any garbage, they, I think they shut, they shut themselves off from that idea because they just don't have time and it just sounds too hard. Uh, so it's important mm-hmm. for, for people like you to show that, yes, you can do it. So it's super great. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I, I will not lie at all. I, it, it, you know, living an environmentally friendly life is challenging. It, it does take, uh, you know, real care and uh, it does take time. You know, it has to be something that you're dedicated to, to, to continuously pull it off, but um, it's worth it. If, if it's what you care about and you really care about your actions and how they affect the world, then that time and energy is, is time and energy well spent and as we talked about, the benefits to it are are huge as well. You get so much out of it that you just never would have imagined. It's so worth it. Is there anything at all that you miss from your old life? Um, I don't miss anything currently, but, you know, the main challenge that I have is 
of all the things that we can do in any given day, the most destructive thing we can do is fly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm invited to speak at all these different places. I just got an invitation to go to China yesterday, and I would love to take that opportunity up. But even if I'm doing a good thing and spreading a good message, I can't just be flying around at every chance or opportunity. And what I do is I have to really look at each opportunity and say, is this worth it? Is the impact that I would have here enough to really offset the negative impact? So like when I've, uh, both of my TEDx talks I've done have been in Europe. And so I didn't fly over there just for one talk. Instead, both times I scheduled about 30 talks and spent a good, I think over a month there, both times, I think it was like 37 days and then like six weeks or something another time. And so that way I was actually able to really have a worthwhile impact by going over there. Mm-hmm. And that takes a, you know, that takes a lot of work. And so I'd love to be able to just hop on a plane and fly whenever I want and take up all these opportunities. But I just know that that wouldn't be the, the right thing to do. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a book by Mike Berners-Lee. I don't know if you've read it. It's called How Bad Are Bananas? The Carbon Footprint of Everything. Mm. Yeah, it's a really good book. And that opened my eyes like years and years ago. And they say the same thing you're saying. So flying, number one, worst thing you can do for for your carbon Mm -hmm. footprint. Number two is having a child. uh, And then I can't remember the rest. But uh, bananas were one of the best things you can eat because they come in their own packaging, even though they come from far away. And apparently they're not so difficult to grow. And I don't think they need a whole lot of like chemicals and stuff to grow them. And they take a long time to ripen. So you can put them on a ship and you don't have to like fly them right away. It's not like an, you know, an avocado where you have like a one day window to eat it and then it's bad. (laughs) I love my bananas. Yeah. So it was a good uh, book. Of course, planting fruit trees in your own community and eating that instead would be, of course, better than bananas that are shipped around the world. Yes. But as far as things that are shipped, maybe it's one of the better foods that are shipped long distance. Absolutely. So I'm all about like eat local, whatever you can. We grow up a whole bunch of our own food and we planted our own apple trees. I don't want to buy like almond milk or something because it always comes in those Tetra Pak containers that are really bad for the environment. Mm -hmm. Do you use any milk like oatmeal milk or almond or coconut or anything like that at all? Um, I don't currently at this time, but I've made a lot of different milks. And now that I'm in Florida, I harvest coconuts from the trees <gasps> and I make my own coconut milk. Oh, so that's, that's so pretty awesome. great. That's <laughs> I love super that. Cool. Um, and then also there are hickory nuts down here and I've made hickory nut milk just, just once so far when I learned how, but I'm actually going to collect hickory nuts today because now it's the fall and I can collect them. So I'll also be making my own hickory nut milk, but those are, you know, those are definitely more challenging. So You know, almond milk is super easy. You just go to the store, buy some whole almonds, and then you just soak them overnight, blend them, and then pour it through a nut milk bag, or you can even just pour it through a cotton t-shirt, you know, a designated cotton t-shirt that you always use. Mm -hmm. And uh, it comes out. And then what I do is add a little cinnamon, uh, honey, and vanilla is what I used to add to it. And it was the best uh, nut milk ever. That sounds awesome. I'm going to have to try that one because I'm trying to find the best thing. And for me, like, because I live in Canada and we live 
in the country, like next to farms, basically. So having like a small dairy farm would sort of be sustainable. But now we just passed this legislation that we can bring American milk into Canada. It was like this new, uh, this new trade deal. And America has like way worse regulations on putting hormones in milk and you like America can use more antibiotics. And then also it comes from like you know, the big factory farms that are like super cruel to the cows, like how should be going outside every day? It's tough. But yeah, my area is like, I would say it's like a farmy kind of milk area. So it's like harder to get away from that. And also with the local question, right? But uh, we're working on it. And like you said, it's not black and white. It's like kind of gray, you know, like, we know that, you know, almond milk would be better, but where is it coming from? And you have to factor in the transportation and all these things. There's a lot to think about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every like every situation is is not black and white. Everything is a matter of gray areas, and that is one of the exhausting things is that you are constantly trying to figure out what is the best. That's you know that's one of the challenges. Is even when you think you figured it out, then you learn something else, and you realize, oh, I did not know that. Yep, um, happens to me all so the time. <laughs> what I really encourage is you know I just encourage people to try to do a really good job. Don't don't get like overwhelmed and carried away with every little detail unless you have all the time to be able to do that. But really it's about doing a really good job. So some, you know, I don't try to do any, any, most anything 100%. I just try to do it 90%, 80%. And if all of us just did it 80 or 90%, the world would be a whole different world. It would be an insanely different world. And so that's really what I would encourage. And that allows you to spread it out to more. Like some people can only focus on zero waste because they're trying to go 100% zero waste. But if you try to go like 80% zero waste, that gives you much more energy to be focusing on other things as well. So that's kind of what I try to do. And that's what makes my life not as stressful. And, you know, something that I kind of recommend and encourage to, to some people. That's very good advice. I like it. Uh, you were saying before that you were wondering about going to China. I think it would make a big difference. Like, I think that it, your carbon footprint would be offset from the flight if you made a big difference over there. Because we know that, uh, I think it's the Yangtze is probably one of the, the top five. I'm not sure if it's the Yangtze or the yellow. I don't know. But I know that there's a lot of pollution coming from Chinese rivers into the ocean. Well, it just depends on how many people, I mean, you know, if I went over there to talk to one person, of course, that would not be worth it at all. So it's a matter of how many people I would reach and how many would actually uh, do something about it. So, you know, it could or it could not. It just depends on, it, it would depend on the whole situation. And that's, you know, I try to look, to look deeper at things. Mm -hmm. It's interesting when you have like the G7 meeting and you'll have all these people fly in you know, and to, to talk about like climate or whatever. And it's like, but you guys all came on like your own planes, like not, you weren't just sitting in a seat in a plane. It was like your own, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there's so much hypocrisy in that. I mean, <laughs> you know, if every, if every environmentalist just gave up flying, you know, that could possibly cripple the movement. I mean, if every environmentalist gave it up, that might be a different story. That, that could, that could de possibly derail the whole system. But but the point is, like, if we just if we just try to have zero impact, that's not enough to turn things around right now. We need to be really it's, it's much more complicated than that. Sometimes we have to have a negative impact in order to make the change that we want. And yes. so 
you know, with these G7 summits, it does make sense to have people traveling from around the world, but to have people flying in so much on private jets and stuff, there's just a ridiculous amount of hypocrisy that's just beyond unnecessary and just really truly beyond beyond common sense. Mm-hmm. It's a multifaceted approach, and we can't just wait for this surprise future technology to develop, and then it's going to change the world. Like, it's us, and it's our world, and it's us that are creating the problems and it's us, we're going to solve it. So we need to just start chipping away at this every way we can. Like you were saying, like if zero waste is your thing, go zero waste. Uh, If reducing your carbon is your thing, you know, do that or do what you're doing and do like a bit of all of it, right? Just whatever you're capable of doing, I think is, is, uh, is good. And I feel like if people just kind of gave up plastic drinking bottles, plastic shopping bags and to go cups, like coffee cups and stuff, I can't imagine the like millions, like hundreds of millions of garbage bags that that would save. That'd be huge. Yeah, that would be huge. And and that's kind of an easy one, right? Like we always say the straws were the low hanging fruit because they're kind of unnecessary for most people. Obviously, some people need them and that's fair. But I will uh, I will let you go and get back to saving the world, Rob. So Thank you so much for coming on the show and thank you for for speaking with us and inspiring us. Yeah, my pleasure and thanks for uh, having this podcast and spreading the good word. That was Rob Greenfield. You can check out his website, robgreenfield.tv. This week on my Countdown to Zero Waste, I attended a function that served lunch, which included paper plates, plastic cutlery, and plastic bottles of Nestle water. I chose a wrap I could eat in my hand and didn't take anything else, effectively using Bia Johnson's first step to zero waste, which is to refuse items. Don't forget to subscribe to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast on whichever platform you listen in on. And you can follow me on Instagram at zero underscore waste underscore countdown. And if you're interested in becoming a patron of the show, you can find us on Podbean and click the button that says become a patron. Or you can click the little red button that says reward. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown podcast.